Hello, and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan Lee Davies, and here is my co-host, Gavia Baker-Whitelaw. Hello. So this week, we're discussing Nora Fingscheit's film System Crasher, which stars Helena Zengel as Benny, a traumatized young German girl whose placement in a series of residential homes is put at risk by her erratic behavior. So this was a request from Thomas via our Patreon. Uh, Thank you, Thomas, for requesting this film. It was not something I had heard of. Um, And as we mentioned at the end of our episode last week, I looked it up and it had won a ton of awards at various sort of German film organizations. And it was really great. So I was so yeah, pleased. Yeah, I mean, I saw this on festival programs when it was screening, but it's not really the sort of film that I kind of seek out unless it's something I'm obliged to review because I don't watch a great deal of kind of hard-hitting real-life dramas. But I concur with Morgan. Great movie. I would recommend it. We say this all the time about the stuff that gets requested through our Patreon, but like, so many of these movies are things that I've never heard of, and then they wind up being super interesting and good, and this was one of them. So I was just like, oh, our patrons have such good taste. Um, <laughs> and I just thought this movie was really interesting. I obviously had some critiques, as I do of most things, but it was a just fascinating sort of look at another country's sort of social safety net and how it works and doesn't work in this case. There are some similarities to the American system, which... I know more about and then other ways in which I was like, oh, this is not the same. I don't want to talk too much about how it compares to America because it's not really the point, but I will definitely make a couple comments about that as we talk because I was just like, I couldn't help but think about that. And uh, yeah, I just think this movie is really well written and features a really remarkable performance from Helena Zengel, who uh, listeners may have seen or probably more likely heard about in the Tom Hanks movie News of the World, which came out last year, which I know you had to review. Um, I didn't see it, but I remember people saying like, wow, there's this kid in this movie who's really great. And um, I think she was nine. Basically, the director saw this film at film festivals and was like, I've got to cast this girl. And the character in that movie, which is a Western, is also German. So I think possibly they like may have rejigged the role so they could have her just be a German character. And it's kind of part of her characterization that she doesn't speak English and she has to travel around with Tom Hanks' character. Um, That movie's pretty basic. Wouldn't especially recommend it, but she's very good at it. (laughs) Yeah, um, I skipped it because I was like, this seems fine, but not, you know, something I urgently need to see. But she is really stunningly good in this movie. And the whole movie is about her and she's playing a, you know, little kid. She is a little kid. And as impressed as I was with basically every other element of the movie too, it totally wouldn't work without having a great child actor in the center, obviously. And uh, she's great. So that was really sort of stunning to me. Not just like a fantastic child actor, but it clearly seems like there was a very thoughtful, collaborative relationship between her and the director. Because as we will talk about in a minute, uh, this filmmaker really went kind of above and beyond in terms of due diligence in researching a very sensitive topic which one doesn't always see. So uh, well done to her. Yes. So this director, Nora Fingscheid, this is her first fiction feature, which is also very impressive because it's very good. Um, She had made some shorts previously and a documentary called Without This World, which is about the uh, Mennonite community in Argentina, I believe. Uh, And she actually made that documentary sort of in the middle of the research process for this movie that we're talking about now because she worked on the research for this for like six years it was an incredibly intensive process she actually like at one point lived in one of these kind of residential homes for 
children um, who weren't living with their parents and had to take a break at a certain point because she was like too emotionally involved in the topic and it was very upsetting and she had a kid herself like I think she said her child was eight at this point and it was like (laughs) interfering with her parenting because she was so emotionally affected by seeing all of these like traumatized children and, and abusive parenting situations but you know it seems like again it was really upsetting for her but the amount of research she put into it I think it was really impressive and totally shows up on the screen because this is a subject matter I'm an expert in, particularly like the German system. I don't know anything, but you really feel there's a level of knowledge watching the movie. And there's an anecdote she tells in a couple of the interviews. She was at one of these facilities and a teenage girl shows up and she says, I I was shocked and asked the social worker what a girl is doing here. This is a facility for adults. And the social worker replied, Oh, that's a system crasher. We can always take them in after their 14th birthday. This was the first time I'd heard that term. System crasher? What's that? She replied, it means no institution in the country dares to take her in. That was the moment I began sort of working on this story. Um, Again, after she had some ideas previously. And the whole arc of this movie kind of revolves around the question of what to do with a child who just like will not behave and particularly a young child who can't really be treated with autonomy, right? Like they keep saying, well, if she were older, we could do this. And obviously the idea that she's conveying in this anecdote is like 14 is still very young. It's really upsetting to think that a 14 year old who sort of just won't listen to authority is just like, well, we're done with you. But it's really complicated with a child as young as the protagonist in this film because she's only nine and they keep trying to sort of send her to different institutions and like it just will not yeah work and it's not kind of like oh this girl is trouble it's like she's extremely violent she has these massive outbursts of rage and obviously every placement that she's put in has loads of other vulnerable children as well because like these are group homes for you know orphans or kids who can't live with their families and many of them also will have you know mental health issues of some kind and then you're putting in this disruptive influence of someone who's just going to completely fly off the handle and poten- potentially hurt people. And like it, you can kind of see precisely how this happens because like she can be really scary and there's not really any way to handle like a child that's like a nine-year-old and is just lashing out with irrational rage for like an hour. But also like, you know, this isn't a story about like a bunch of repressive jail wardens trying to lock her up like they're trying to help her but they they're not equipped to do it because like you have to take care of a bunch of kids at once well that was what i found so interesting and affecting about this movie and where i kept thinking like if this were taking place in america she would just be thrown in juvie like immediately right like this the amount of effort that goes into attempting to really help this kid is pretty profound and the adults in all the various sort of institutions where she is living or placed are genuinely trying to help her and the director and these interviews keep saying like the people I was encountering in these places are genuinely like well-meaning like they're they're doing this work because they want to help children right like it's just really, really hard because the problems aren't always solvable. And I think 
the writing for that character and also the this incredible performance from this child too obviously does a great job of showing that like you're not supposed to think that this kid is like bad in quotes right obviously she has real affection for the adults who are kind to her in these various systems and she clearly just wants love like all children but when she loses control and has these kind of freakouts it is really frightening and dangerous especially to the other children who as you say like are also have to be protected right and just like what do you do like i have no idea what i would do in that situation right and the movie doesn't try to say like well this is what should be correct it's just kind of an awful situation for everybody and the fact that there isn't sort of like an easy answer or there's not like a sort of raging against society vibe which can totally work in movies like this like there are many critiques of society to be had in various places right but that's not what this movie is doing it's more just about the like it's just really hard to deal with and there's not like a solution which is like stressful to watch i found this movie very stressful and upsetting but yeah you know that's life sometimes I mean, it reminded me a little of the very famous film Kez by Ken Loach. And this is obviously kind of in the general Ken Loach zone of filmmaking, kind of as a social issues movie. Um, But that film is kind of about um, a young working class boy who's really isolated and is living in like an urban environment. And I think it was like the 70s. And it's about him learning to kind of find some freedom because he befriends this wild bird, a kestrel. And I feel like there's, there's a pretty... (laughs) there's a pretty big subgenre of films that are like that and have a much more schmaltzy view and I really appreciated that this film did not have that in the slightest because like part of the narrative is as we said there's this really big kind of community of people who are trying to help her we see like these sit-down meetings between all of her teachers and social workers and stuff and there'll be like you know seven or eight people sitting around a table talking about her and trying to figure out what to do next in this like basically unsolvable situation. And it also did make me think of the system in the UK, which is probably not as bad as the US, but it's still pretty fucking bad. And I think that definitely we have reached the point now where there are so many budget cuts that I highly doubt there are rooms of six or seven people sitting around tables having meetings because everyone is just falling through the cracks. Like there's so many scandals to do with like child welfare in this country. But um, the big turning point that happens in kind of the first third of this movie is that after this girl has been kicked out of several group homes and they just can't figure out what to do with her next. Like they're like, oh, we can put her in an inpatient facility, but like she's not old enough to go to one of the older homes. Um, This guy who's kind of been hired as her school escort to like basically manage her on a personal one-to-one basis at school, he suggests taking her to the forest where he kind of goes on small expeditions with like teenage boys that he takes care of and he's an anger management expert and that's kind of the secondary main character he's this fantastic character who's played by a german actor named albrecht schuch who has been in various kind of theater plays and indie dramas in germany and he's fantastic and he plays this very kind of sensitive figure because you immediately understand that he is perhaps going to get her on a more personal level because he has anger issues and has clearly dealt with that in his past. And also he's kind of very quietly like watching happening what's the situation with this girl and thinking there's no other solution. So he kind of takes her out into the forest for this three week vacation where she can just be free. Like she's no longer kind of being locked up in these claustrophobic environments and so forth. And she just gets to let rip in the forest. And obviously, like, it's not, like, a perfect situation, but you can see how it's helping. 
But instead of the film being like, oh yes, just here in the forest forever, the film is like, well, we understand this isn't actually a solution because like we live in a society. Yeah. I thought that character, his name's Misha in the movie, was so well done. That actor, as you say, is fantastic. And the first bit you see of him is like he's on his cell phone outside. Like she sees him through the window and he's having an argument with someone the content isn't important. It's just so that you see that he's like, he's like swearing at somebody on the phone and she's kind of like, hmm. <laughs> and, but his intention with her is like, he just wants to help. But because it's a movie and like, she's a child and he's an adult man, like you can't help but think like, is something bad going to happen, right? And then you sort of realize, or I realize anyway, as the movie goes along, that that's not what's going to happen. Um, and that he is genuinely just like trying to be helpful. But the sort of problem that develops between them is not that, like, he's a danger to her. It's rather that he's becoming too emotionally invested in her because she's, like, a charming, lovely little girl who just also has this these behavioral problems. Yeah. I mean, for me, the point where the film just kind of the whole thesis of it really coalesces and it's just like a perfect little summary is after he's gone and taken her to the forest and stuff and he's like really bonded with her he's having a conversation with like her main social worker who is this really well-meaning middle-aged woman named Mrs. Baffinet who is really trying to help her and is constantly going between all these group homes trying to find a new place for her and in like a different type of film, like a more basic version of this movie, which we've all seen many times before, this would be the point where he sort of adopts her and they go off into the forest and she like gets over her trauma through the wonders of nature. And what happens here is like, even though he really does understand her, he goes to like her social worker and has a quiet word. And he's like, look, I'm starting to have rescue fantasies. And I'm like, my God, they are taught, they are actually acknowledging in the text that this is something that you have conversations with in this profession and that having rescue fantasies is a bad thing because you are a professional carer who has to deal with like multiple children and maintain professional distance while also manage to empathize with them, which is an incredibly emotionally difficult job. And he recognizes that it is a fantasy because like you can't really solve a problem this complex by like taking someone on holiday and letting them let off their steam. Like it's a really complicated psychological problem. And something else I really liked about just like the way the film kind of portrays her anger issues and her trauma is they do mention early on that she has some kind of rather unspecified trauma in like her very like early childhood, like as a baby. The film never has flashback scenes where we see precisely what happened. The film doesn't make like specific diagnoses. And also there are no talk therapy th scenes. And I think talk therapy scenes are like massively overused unless you're doing it in either a very smart way or in just like a massively absurd kind of stylized Hannibal way. Because usually it's just a way that filmmakers use to cheat to make their characters talk about their feelings. And it's like, that's not how things work. And it's extremely difficult to do. And in this case, they just like the filmmaker just decided not to bother. They're like, we're not going to have a bunch of conversations where this child like talks about what the root of their problem is. Because at this point, it's like functionally irrelevant. Like it's baked into her brain chemistry. Yeah, there are these brief impressionistic flashback kind of moments. Like flashback is even too strong a word because they're not scenes. But there are these like, again, moments where the camera will like 
show sort of hazy bits of her memory, I suppose. And you'll often get a bright pink color, um, which is the color that's associated with her in the movie. She often wears really bright pink or purple clothes. And I actually thought that even that was not really necessary. Like the director will often put that in when she's having or about to have one of her kind of like rage blackouts. And it's the only really stylized thing in the movie. The movie is shot in a very competent but not flashy way, I would say. It's handheld camera. I have no complaints about the direction, but it's not particularly like notable or memorable. It's more designed to, I think, tell the story in a straightforward way without being particularly notable, um, except for these moments. And again, like even that I didn't feel like I needed because... As you say, so much is conveyed through what we're actually seeing happen in real time. And when we were talking about the film Saint Maud last week, like that was an instance where I really did want more about that character's backstory because I felt like it would help me to understand her more. But in this case, I didn't feel like I needed anything because I think partially because it's such a small child that like you're still seeing it all unfold, right? And this couple of scenes with her mother give you so much information about oh, yeah, we haven't what's spoken going about her on. mother which was just like a really interesting role so her mother has two other children who are younger and we see her in one scene um where benny the girl like runs away and gets back to her mother's apartment at that point she's living with a boyfriend who is clearly abusive and The movie definitely has some degree of sympathy for the mother, who clearly is just, like, a mess. But also, like, she's a fuck-up. I mean, (laughs) she's not a good mom. It's pretty upsetting to see her with this child. And the movie's too smart to be like, you know, let's list off all of Benny's problems and exactly explain where they came from. Obviously, there are kids with like severe behavioral problems that like the parents just don't know what happened and it's really difficult to deal with but clearly a lot of what's going on here is that like she just desperately wants attention and affection from her mother and wants to live with her and her mom keeps being like yeah well soon 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 and like it's clearly not going to happen yeah like her mother doesn't have the energy to deal with her and keeps being like well the other kids will wind up like her if she comes and lives here. But so much of the behavior is clearly coming from being rejected or like her feeling of being rejected by her mother and the like constant uncertainty of like thinking that she might go to go live with her soon, but not knowing when that might happen. And there are a few scenes where she like wants to call her mom or talks about her mom to another adult that I found just like, so unbelievably sad because the like desperation from this kid which could have veered into the territory of being like again schmaltzy or kind of too much but felt really well balanced to me yeah and you also because it's like her emotions are just completely on the surface and she does have this really sweet side and she's just like really open and wanting to have love like she literally is like after she's known this school escort guy for like one day and asked him about a bunch of questions. She's like, oh, well, you're my friend now. And he's like, I'm not your friend. I'm I'm your school escort, like trying to make sure there is boundaries. But um, yeah, like it's just, it's just a kind of all about abandonment and this mother who just refuses to confront the issue basically. Like another recurring thing is like whenever they have these meetings 
she's always absent and she always gives some like completely half-assed excuse for why she's not there. And like she clearly is like in her general life raising her other two kids who don't seem like massively fucked up. But like she's also not living particularly happily either and like it all just seems like quite a depressing mess. Yeah. And that kind of just like desperation from the child is is how kids are. Like they need their parents, right? And obviously sometimes that's not possible. But in this case, what's so upsetting about it is that it doesn't seem completely impossible. And it's more that the mom just sort of like can't or won't deal with it. And again, it's not like the movie is depicting this mother as like a horrible, heinous bitch. But there is part of what, again, is the refusal of sentimentality is that it's not depicting her also as like a martyr, right? Where like, there's just nothing she can do. Like there kind of is something she could do. She could just be a better mom, but it's kind of outside of her capacity, right? Because it's like, you can kind of see a situation where she's like, oh, I promise I'll come and visit you once every two weeks. But it's like, people can't behave in perfect ways, you know? (laughs) I mean, that's the whole thesis of the movie, right? Is that you can't force people to be better. It's not possible. And then that creates problems. (laughs) Because once you have a, the parent acting like that, that the kids, you can't really, what are you going to, what the, what on earth can you possibly do to convince the child that it's not her fault? You can't. And one of the other interesting things that the director said in one of the interviews about the Misha character, the, the school escort, was that in talking to people who work in these roles and in these facilities with these children who have problems, is that this idea of having these rescue fantasies or becoming too attached is just incredibly difficult to deal with and also incredibly prevalent, of course, because in order to be effective in really making a difference for these kids, you have to get emotionally attached to them and they have to really love you or else why would they be motivated to change their behavior, right? But if you become too emotionally attached, then you get in this situation that we see in this movie where he's having these rescue fantasies and is kind of like bargaining with her too much that when they come back from the woods, he has to take her back to the place where she's been living. And she starts like bashing her head against the window in a quite frightening way. And she wants to go back to his house and he's like, fine, fine. Okay. Which of course you could understand what she's doing is really upsetting, but also it's like, no, no, do not do it because it's just going to make her more attached to him. Yeah. And, like, the whole situation with her is, like, not in, like, a bad and manipulative way, but, like, give her an inch and she'll take a mile because she, she's so desperate for any form of affection. And there is also this kind of way in which it's not the same as, like, someone who's being, like, intentionally manipulative. But basically, if something is, like, really awful most of the time and then something gets a bit better, it's, like, such a relief that it feels better than it should be. So with her, it's, like, she is this really likable kid a lot of the time, but also she feels more likable because it's such a shock and like all of her carers suddenly realize like, oh, this kid like maybe could live a happy life and like she's not violent all the time and they really want to like find a way for her to like be behaving in a quote unquote normal manner more. But of course that isn't going to happen because like it's this continual cycle of her having like a period where she's okay and then she'll just also be like incredibly terrifying and violent really soon after. And that kind of, if anything, is like that attention grabbing nature will make people like more invested. Yeah, totally. And I feel like that effect 
Like, you, you feel that effect watching it, too, yeah, right? Yeah, you root for her, like, so much. <laughs> yeah. And the scenes where she is behaving well or being really charming and personable, like, because we're watching a movie, of course we know that this can't last and she's going to, you know, have another episode again. But, again, the performance is so great that you're really taken in by her. And, of course, I mean, like, she's a child, so it's not like she's, like, conniving and scheming. But you just want to believe that this is can go on indefinitely, particularly because when she's sort of having these freakouts or becoming violent, it's obviously completely just an instinctive response and not anything else. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem, of course, particularly because she's endangering other children and like quite badly hurts another child in one of the most upsetting scenes in the movie. So like... What, I mean, again, what do you do? It's it's really hard. We should say a little bit more about the actual process of making the movie, I think. I mean, with the actress, Helena Zengel, who is now 12, but I guess was like 9 or 10 when, when this was made. Like she, this, she, this isn't like her first project. She's a child actor in Germany who's been in various kind of TV projects and smaller films since 2014. So she is actually quite experienced. But I was interested to note that the director, uh, Nora Fingstadt, she did like spend literally six full months kind of preparing for the role with Helena Zengel, which is very much in line with like her previous five to six years worth of research. Yeah. She clearly is very much into making sure the craft is finalized, but it seems like they really kind of discussed this character in depth and they would do stuff like going on shopping trips to like get the right outfits for her together and that sort of thing. So like they really did kind of have a very collaborative approach and um. You also find this good quote with um with the director kind of about the process of filming with a child. Um, so this is the director saying, the shooting process was 67 days because in Germany you can only work with a child for five hours a day, at least with a nine-year-old. So that makes the days very short and that's good because the scenes are so hard. That's enough to shoot one scene a day. And then we tried on the next day to make a quiet scene or a funny scene to keep the balance. Then on one shooting day, we wrote one page in a diary together reflecting the day which was good, bad, or fun. We rehearsed the day before so that she could sleep over it. She never came on set not knowing what was going to happen. It's a huge responsibility. The whole film stands and falls in this performance and she had that pressure, but she did an incredible job. Um, and also elsewhere, kind of, she mentioned that because like you're on these unusually short days for filming, because like people in the film industry are used to working like 12 hour days, after the kid had gone home, they would just like shoot a bunch of kind of experimental footage, which is... So they had like all these shots of like random lights and toys and stuff that they could edit into the films. There are these kind of a bit more kind of quirky visual moments to kind of put in the film other than just like focusing on people's faces. I mean, I'm always interested slash suspicious about how directors work with child actors because of course history is rife with stories about this going very badly. And now there's so much more sort of regimentation about how this works. But I was still really sort of impressed, I guess, by how she talked about this, because she clearly put so much thought into making it a pretty welcoming environment for a child. And she said in another interview that Helena Zengel is obviously, you know, she's an actress, so she's good at the like gregarious stuff, but that she's just like not an aggressive person. And so those scenes they had to really sort of talk about and it was a Obviously, she's really performing, but the, 
doing all of this stuff sort of balanced out just seemed like such a sensible way to approach it and the communicating so much about it too it's like just very healthy and feels like not what often happens with these kids yeah i mean it did also kind of make me think of like obviously there is this long history of like kids being mistreated in the movies which also ties into just generally really poor labor practices which continues today but also kind of historically because men were less involved in child rearing and most films were made by men you were getting a lot of movies which were made by people who like literally did not know how to interact with children whereas nowadays you know everyone is interacting with their kids more and also there's more women making movies so it's like situation's probably getting better (laughs) yes totally and i think even in cases where there wasn't necessarily like horrific abuse or anything going on like it's just not normal for kids to be like working all the time right yeah hence why there are these laws which is why you often hear of like celebrity kids who are like oh you know i've been emancipated because i really want to be independent and it's like so you want to be working 12 hour days (laughs) yeah (laughs) very depressing (laughs) yeah um yeah just like on the technical side as well um this film has great music the music is by a german music person named john gertier but i think also there was some kind of like non-original music in the soundtrack it's just very kind of propulsive and kind of kinetic there's lots of percussion going on in there and some of that is music that like belongs to the guy that like benny goes to the forest with so he's kind of introducing her to this really aggro music but also it's just like a really great atmospheric soundtrack to a story where like there's a lot of quiet moments and kind of interspersed with moments of massive energetic rage yeah the scenes where she's running away from various things institutions people will often have that like really percussion heavy almost like sifty sounding music which works really well i found a review by a writer patrick preziozzi uh that compared this to a couple other recent german films that i thought was very insightful the film western by valeska griesbach and uh tony erdman which i'm sure will be familiar to a lot of our listeners by uh, marinada which was a big deal um, a few years ago got nominated for an oscar which are both also sort of naturalistic handheld movies from germany i think those two movies are better than this one but it did make me interested in the idea of this kind of like mini sort of movement happening in germany specifically but i'm sure there are other european movies that just aren't coming to my mind immediately where a sort of formal style that's like really structured isn't kind of the priority and like western also is very much about kind of like social issues too although it's a very different movie yeah and it's just comparing those i think like watching all of them together i think would be pretty interesting tony erdman is is more of a comedy but um it's a, again like if you watch you watch movies from other countries that maybe you didn't get as much publicity here and all of a sudden you're like hmm interesting stuff going on the other movie or director rather that this reminded me of and then i was interested to see that one of the interviewers mentioned it to Nora Fingscheidt, who was like oh i see what you mean although we weren't thinking about that i was like okay well <laughs> um was andrea arnold who directed fish tank and american honey and the infamous second season of Big Little Lies, which got taken away from her and re-edited by HBO. Um, but Fish Tank in particular, this reminded me of a bit, it's about a teenager, not a child, child. But um, she also, will, she'll do a lot of like close-ups on her protagonists and a lot of handheld stuff. And will often focus on sort of like, like fringes of society characters in a very interesting and clearly like well-researched 
way. And there's specifically some plot stuff at the end of Fish Tank that's very similar to what happens at the end of this movie, which we can talk about in a moment. But it was really interesting to me that the director was like, oh yeah, we weren't thinking about that at all. Because obviously that can happen. But I was like, it really does seem similar to me. But the Her films similarly are like very highly stylized more than this movie, but also have that kind of like lack of sentimentality that was part of what we responded to so much about this, I think. And I was, you know, thinking watching this about other movies about problem children, which you mentioned Cast, which I haven't seen, but um, the two that I was thinking about most were The 400 Blows and The Florida Project, which are obviously very different movies. I haven't seen The 400 Blows in a long time. But um, yeah, I've was... not seen that one at all. Although Florida Project is fantastic. Yeah, the 400 Blows is amazing, obviously. And um, I think Scheidt did mention that in interviews. But the Florida Project, I felt was really like a, another productive comparison to this. I think it's kind of a little bit more accomplished on a directorial level, but has a similar kind of like mother and daughter with a sort of problem relationship. And the daughter is really, <laughs> there's some behavioral issues there. But also is clearly just like very sweet underneath everything. But that movie is way more about like the ills of society to me, which I mean, America's very fucked up. So that that all makes sense. But again, it was interesting to me to think about what the, the different focuses of those two movies in terms of like, again, the big societal critique of that one versus this, which is way more about the individual people. And like that they're basically try every possible solution and like it just keeps not working which can bring us to the end of the movie i think yeah so as morgan alluded to a moment ago there is this point towards the end of the film where benny really seriously injures another child like it looks like she's going to be taken into the house of her former foster mother who is really fond of her and really wants to kind of spend time with her but due to I mean, due to her continual problems, but also due to her mother being incredibly flaky, Benny flies off the handle and just like attacks this other boy who's living with her foster mother and seriously injures him. And that results in her being sent away to what seems to be a more kind of high security facility. And the only solution at this point that the authorities can come up with is they will send her to an overseas group home. So they're planning to send her to some unseen facility in Kenya because literally nowhere in Germany can take her. So she runs away. She runs away. She tries to get back to the house of her, her her friend, the man who took her to the forest. She does successfully get there. She stays there for a day, but things kind of come to a head because she tries to help with their baby, who's like a young baby, by giving him milk and stuff. But then when the baby's mother comes to pick him up, Benny just flies into rage while holding the baby and like locks herself in a room which is just this incredibly scary scene because like it's very plausible that she might kill a baby you know it's really scary but she doesn't she leaves the baby behind and she runs off into the snow and there's a point there where you think it's possible she might die but like she gets hypothermia she gets taken to hospital and after that she's kind of taken to the airport where she's going to be flown to Kenya and kind of the final scene of the film is her running back through security airport and then just running and jumping into the air and the freeze like the we get like a freeze frame and that's the end of the movie so it's like she seems really happy and free because she's running and jumping but like she's just in this like completely awful unsolvable situation yeah i didn't love the freeze frame at the end never my preferred choice but uh again i thought the 
resolution of the sort of relationship with Misha, the school escort man, was really, really smart. Because she shows up at his house and he's just like, oh my god, like this is not, it's not good. And his wife, who has, you know, vastly less experience with this girl, and is clearly a nice person, is just like, well... Why don't we just let her stay a day? And you can yeah, like, she seems sweet. Like, this isn't a big problem. And it's like, it turns out to be a very big problem. Right. And you're just like, oh my God. Like, no, call immediately. And and he's just like too emotionally invested at this point, which is the whole sort of issue at hand here, right? And when she's holding the baby before she kind of freaks out, the baby is touching her face, which is the thing that normally sends her into these rages. And so at first you think, oh my god, is like the baby's gonna touch her face, and then she's gonna freak out. And that's actually fine. Clearly, she's having this moment with this baby, and the baby is so obviously not a threat that like she manages to not freak out at that point. But then when the mom wants the baby back, it's like she's taking something from her, right? And she so badly wants to be in their family. I mean, earlier in the movie, she's asked Misha if she can come live with them. And he's like, no. And she starts like calling him Papa. And he's like, oh my God, like, no, no, no. Yeah. And then he, then she says, if I killed your child and your wife, could I come and live with her? And like, that is so clearly not like a real threat. Right. But again, she shows up at the house. Don't let her stay. That's not smart. Like, come on. But obviously you don't like, she's, behaving so well when she first gets there because she just wants them to let her stay and not to cause trouble. And I, I keep saying the same thing, but I just felt like it was such an intelligent depiction of both those characters that you totally understand her motivations. Like, she just wants to not be sent away. And also, from his perspective, like, he's obviously not doing the correct thing to do, but they've dramatized him sort of letting little barriers like slip down progressively further like over the course of the movie that by this point when he's really doing the wrong thing like they call him and ask him where she is and he lies to them which like this man should not have this job anymore this is not good but you totally get why but then you know she has to be sent away at the end and the fact that there's no sort of concrete or like satisfying resolution also feels really true to the movie to me because as we have been talking about this whole time, the thesis of the film, it seems to me, really is, like, there is no straightforward solution to this problem outside of, like, everyone being a perfect parent, which is not realistic. And even then, you're still going to have, you know, kids with problems, of course. But, yeah, I really admire the resistance to providing some kind of pat moment like that at the end, because... Who knows what's going to happen to this girl, right? Like, it's impossible to say, even if I didn't like the freeze frame. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you very much to Thomas for uh, requesting this movie. Yeah, it was, as I said, just a real pleasure, even if it was quite stressful (laughs) to watch. (laughs) I feel like you get a sense often, if like a movie is willing to really endanger and harm children I feel like you normally have a clue about that early on so I didn't actually think anything horrific was going to happen to any of the children but I wasn't sure (laughs) so the whole time I was just like 
I wasn't sure at all. I was like, you know, who knows? Maybe she's going to like kill a small animal or something, you know. An animal wouldn't have surprised me. I didn't think that she was going to kill that baby because that was that was too yeah. much. Um, but I was still very anxious. But despite that, we would recommend this if you haven't seen yeah. it. You now know the spoilers, so, you know. Yeah, and this movie, which won many awards, and now the director is going on to make her second feature film, which is a remake of a British crime drama miniseries, which is going to star Sandra Bullock. So uh, that's a real big ascension from the previous project. Yeah, congratulations to her. I mean, wow. I look forward to that very much. As I think I mentioned at the top, in America, this is available on Netflix, although I don't believe globally. Although it's obviously, you know, rentable, etc. And... Next week, we are doing something very different. We are we are going to be watching the iconic 1988 anime film Akira, which I've seen before, but Morgan hasn't. And, you know, it's a cyberpunk post-apocalyptic movie, really beloved, directed by Katsuhiro Otomo and extremely influential on any number of later projects to the point where I'm sure we will both recognize things that we've seen elsewhere in this film. But it's kind of weirdly topical because part of its backstory is it takes place in the lead up to the 2020 Olympics, which may or may not be taking place this year in 2021. So um, yeah, Akira. Yeah, I had no idea that that was the setting, conceit, etc. of this movie. So when you told me that earlier... I was like, well, we've been sort of thinking about doing an episode about Akira for a while, but this does seem like the time. And if they cancel them imminently, we got to get it in now. So join us next week for that. Thank you for listening, as always. If you would like to support us and or request a film for us to watch and discuss, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor, and you can find me on YouTube at Behind the Scenes. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverinvestedPod. Our Tumblr is OverinvestedPodcast, and our website is OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.